Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Aronex podcast, which focuses on the people, the technologies and the pressures that are transforming the shape of the maritime and ocean sectors. I'm Craig Eason. I'm an ex-seafarer turned journalist with a bit of a focus on sustainability and the environment, and I run the Fathom.world website. So let me start this episode by asking a question. Is the shipping industry attractive to school leavers? Is it as attractive a career as, say, medical research, gaming, IT, automotive or entertainment? Do school leavers find it attractive to either go to sea or study maritime sciences? So, is shipping a sexy industry? There are those that don't want to use the word sexy when describing an industry such as shipping, but let me ask it another way. Society is changing. The millennials, the school children of 10 years ago, are leaving university, and they're now the newcomers into the workforce, and it is they that will soon become industry leaders and achievers. It is these young men and women from all over the world that we need to get to come into the shipping and maritime industries. It is them that will be the directors in charge of cargo flows and sustainable development in the future. So can shipping be an attractive career for them? In earlier Aronex programmes, I've spoken to people coming from companies that are pushing forward the new ideas into the industry. These are the ones passionate about change. I've spoken to people about new fuels, fuel cells, hydrogen, about new technologies and the road to sustainability. In earlier episodes, we also heard about one of the most visual changes coming back to sea, wind propulsion or wind assist technologies. But this is not a return to sail, and it needs a new way of thinking. So is this then the time to be a naval architect, a ship designer, a programmer, coming into shipping when one is being given a chance to make a difference and think out of the box? Now, there are two companies in France that I think are doing just that. And when it comes to making shipping sexy again, one can't go wrong with a French accent. On the one hand is Airseas, which has developed a kite that can be hoisted high above a very large vessel and used to partly tow the ship. And when it comes to cross-industry ideas, this company started out as part of the aeronautics company Airbus. In fact, Airbus is still the main owner of the company. And I'll be talking to Vincent Bernadette, Airsea's CEO, about the move from aeronautics to shipping. But first, there is another company, VPLP Design, and it's involved in the design of a new Roro vessel for the Ariane group, the rocket maker. Ariane builds its rockets in Europe, but ships them to French Guyana in South America for launching. And Ariane wanted a new vessel, a greener one, so it put out a tender in 2018 and opted for an open deck Roro with accommodation forward, but most strikingly, four vertical rigid wing sails, which will have up to 363 square metres of sail area each. Wing sail designs and shipping are one of the clearest examples of technology transfer, having been used in competitive ocean racing and based on aerodynamic principles familiar to aviation. Within VPLP in France is project manager Simon Wattin, a naval architect who's made the switch from the glitzy world of high-speed yacht design to developing design solutions for the shipping industry. 
So who better to talk about whether shipping has an attraction for young people than talking to someone who's gone from designing yachts for speed or luxury to designing wind solutions for efficiency. So I started by asking Simon why he had made the switch. It's really personal. <laughs> it's been really a kind of a personal uh, decision, reflection. Um, I'm a very technically minded person, so I, I, I'm an engineer. I love engineering problems and, and problem solving and, and developing tools and and uh, and etc. So obviously, in that in that respect, the uh, uh, performance quest of, of racing and uh, and Grand Prix racing was is absolutely thrilling and and, and matched. Uh, but at some point, uh, also on say personal journey, for the lack of a better uh, of a better uh, wording. Was I was really asking myself of of what impact and what what sense it this all makes to be very uh, uh, you know to be very blunt. So at some point uh, there was the, the tr trying to trying to to get the be the best of both worlds, being in, involved in some technical you know problem solving of pro technical solutions that also made sense uh, um, has been a great uh, has been a great. Uh, Challenge and has been a great opportunity for me to uh, to transition and a great driver, sorry, to uh, to to get from from racing to uh, to shipping and and at some in some respect today I think that uh, at least from from my small window from my little experience I see that the shipping is starting to have to to move and to start to embrace uh, changing uh, in some in some aspect that that we from from the racing world can. Uh, can can bring some some you know technological assets, some mindsets, some uh, some some freshness as well. Hopefully, uh, where where we where we are back back to the drawing board and and, and closer to a, to a blank sheet for some application or you know, a blank sheet of paper, which is uh, which is really exciting uh, from 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 a technical perspective this time around. So, how did this actually develop? You've been in this field within the within the same company so how did this move from sail racing to this commercial come about how did you suddenly go where did that eureka moment come when you thought this could actually be applied elsewhere uh so this 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 was really uh mark von pettigame's vision uh so of the founder of, of eplp he's been uh um pushing pushing that concept since really uh, we've been developing that uh, that America's Cup uh, project and, and seeing that that uh, trimaran uh, solid wing side trimaran in 2010. That that's been the moment where he decided to to push the company forward or, or a bit of the company forward in that in that field and saying, "Look, guys, we we've got something here uh, which is which is superior both in in terms of aerodynamics but also in terms of applicability, commercial applicability." Uh, for automation, uh, more to have to to be more structurally efficient than, than the traditional rigging, to be uh, scalable, to be maneuvered by uh, by by less people, and moving away from the, the yeah having really some 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 turnaround concept. And, and since that moment uh, at at VPLP, there's been resources dedicated to pushing that project forward. Uh, saying rather low key for the first few years and then really ramping up uh, in the last uh, four years now with uh, trying to 
get to the first prototype in 2016 and then to the third scale uh, test test model in 2017 to 19 and uh, and then the the aero uh, spin-off trying to now get it um, get this product into an industrial scale helped by the by the canope project which has really been the, the, the flagship and, and and has put a, a lot of uh, attraction on on this uh, on this field uh, so really it's 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 been a 10 year old um, journey there uh, into which I personally was not all the way through because I, I, I spent quite some time on this part in into the America's Cup uh, cycle and, and business. But uh, having been in touch and with, with this field as well, I've, I've, uh, I've uh, yeah I've blended it I've blended back in quite uh, quite naturally um, with with this uh, with this experience as well. So the, the 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 wing design itself has become a a spin off from the ship from the yacht design business it's been now developed more sort of the engineering is being more developed now with the aero spin-off and it's the aero spin-off that is is developing the design to go on board the canopy and that's the vessel that will carry the ariane rocket parts over to their launch over in south america is that right Yes, correct. Exactly. That's uh, that's how it's uh, that's how it's been set up. We we at VPLP really fundamentally are naval architects, so more of a services business or consultancy business, and uh, and the need to push that product forward was was uh, to push that product forward. We needed to to organize ourselves differently and to to dedicate uh, a business unit or to create a product based uh, company that would. Uh, be able to uh, to scale things up to the industrial level, and as you said, uh, uh, carry the detail engineering, production, assembly, um, all of that, um, all of these aspects. That that's not our core business, and uh, and also it's important that uh, that this brand emerges as well. And there's a there's a dedicated activity for for that product, the, the wing and the, and the, and the wind assist. Uh, supply um, engine if you want so the, the wind engine whereas us at vplp also we want to keep being naval architect and consultant and design we design ships and we do performance analysis we do performance prediction on, on ships and on any type of, of wind assist uh, propulsion and we try to to eventually we we our job is to make uh, happen a, a boat project or a vessel project or a yacht project um, which has a, an owner, a purpose, uh, a design brief, etc. So it's it's two different uh, um, it's two different sets of skills. So it needed to be uh, th- that's where we have really these two these two companies now. And, and from the naval architect point of view, when you're looking at how a vessel is designed and how it's going to run, how do you look at it from a yacht perspective, and how do you look at it from a shipping perspective the canopy will be a container to carry rocket parts from a to b as with as much efficiency in its fuel um, as possible whereas a yacht is designed to win a race effectively the efficiency priorities are somewhat different between the two how have you been how are you able to sort of extrapolate the the yacht priorities into the shipping industry 
It's it's really it's really the same mindset for the for some for some aspect because uh, you you're really sorry to speak like an engineer or but it's really different weights that you put on your global performance equation in terms of a very uh, uh, talking about it in a very broad way you know even in in very high Grand Prix racing you have you have cost you have weight you have performance uh, in Grand Prix racing performance is, is extremely high weight cost is uh, is differently weighted uh, in the shipping you it has to be profitable so cost is at the fore and foremost but if you can you know with the same cost or with a little extra cost get some performance you can demonstrate that you eventually pay that back so it's still it's always an optimization problem there are say uh, so you can you can apply uh, methods for performance design or efficient design in 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 any uh, in any cases i think the main difference that i see personally uh, going from racing project to shipping project is the existence or the importance of of, uh, of regulation norms that uh, that you need to factor in quite heavily uh, in in the shipping project, obviously, which is and and it's still very good, obviously, to have standards and to not be able to do anything uh, or stupid things, but uh, but yeah, this is definitely something that's much less present in the uh, in the in the racing where you have your own standard or you have standard for past design or state of the art, but it's uh, it's less constrained in a way. And when it comes to naval architecture or when it comes to ship designs um, in the commercial space uh, that you're now working in, do you think it's an industry that is becoming more attractive to young school leavers or young people who want to go and study this kind of systems engineering and uh, naval architecture and, uh, and things like that? Do you think this new age of sail, do you think this new age of sustainability is going to make the shipping industry a much more attractive one to find the right kind of people that you would need within VPLP or Aero and the industry would need in general. Yeah, I definitely believe so, and not just hope so, but uh, but believe so. I've I've seen uh, a lot of a lot of CV over the years, and remembering myself not so long ago uh, trying to apply uh, to positions, and clearly there's a shift in uh, in what the young engineers and the young naval architects. Uh, put forward in their motivation towards sustainability, toward uh, projects that do make sense from an environmental point of view, uh, and alongside the, the need for performance and efficiency. and uh, And this is this is quite new, and uh, and this is stronger and stronger. So so these uh, uh, brilliant uh, young you know uh, graduates they value now as much environmental sense. Uh, as, as they do the performance and, and they try to make the, the best of both worlds. So I'm really confident that, that for us, uh, for, the, for, the shipping, for the shipping industry, we, we will be able much more so than in the last uh, decade or two, two decades to, to attract uh, interesting and motivated profiles. Uh, certainly compared to the aeronautical, for instance, uh, uh, sector, the, the, the shipping industry or the, the maritime transportation, say, to be more general, is seem to me that it's uh, definitely more uh, forward-looking, or is more part of the future than than massive uh, aeronautic um, industry. Whereas it it's not been so much the case. It's been exactly the opposite over the last fifty years. Say so. Uh, so I'm quite excited to be to be here uh, at this time. Do you th- do you think that um, 
will start making a lot more differences because you've mentioned the sort of the 10 years so far to go from the America's Cup being, you know, when the vision of the fixed wing sale appeared, 10 years may seem a long time to that industry, although for the shipping industry, perhaps it doesn't seem such a long time, actually. But do you think change is going to start happening quickly now as we get, particularly as we get these new engineers, these new naval architects, these new thinkers coming into the industry? Yeah, I think so. I I definitely believe so. And there's objective, you know, backups to to say that it's it's really an accelerating trend thanks to the, uh, thanks to regulation, really, thanks to the environmental uh, regulation pressure that's put on on the shipping industry to comply to to more stringent uh, emissions uh, reduction. We we see an interest to that, and that, that's a great example of of regulation driving driving the market and the innovation uh, forward. And for sure, uh, ship owner or ship uh, ship buyers or these actors have not uh, really taken taken this upon themselves to to move forward that because. We've been proposing very similar solution in 2011, 2012, and uh, hearing the listening was not there and nothing like what we, what the discussion that we can have today. I see a lot of the, um, of this, you know, similar company proposing wind assist uh, propulsion solution, hiring and trying to, to get talent and, and expanding. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I really see it as a, as an accelerating trend. Simon Wattin from VPLP Design in France talking about the future of shipping and how it can become a more attractive industry for young people. And personally, I think any industry sounds attractive when it's described with a South European accent. Now, in a minute, we'll hear from another wind propulsion company, Airseas, the company based in the French city of Toulouse, the home of Airbus. But before that, this. New York, New York. The Big Apple, Gotham City, the city that never sleeps. Images of New York include skyscrapers, the Statue of Liberty, Wall Street, Broadway, and more. Hello, I'm Carleen Leiden-Walker from the New York Tri-State area. Read my reflections on the Fathom website to learn why the New York Maritime Cluster is the most vibrant and dynamic in the world in the city that never sleeps. As they say, if you can make it there, You'll make it anywhere. So back to France. I mentioned Airseas, the company that's redeveloped the kite model, something some may have seen from a German company, Skysails, a few years ago. Airseas has got a rather attractive large backer in Airbus, the airline maker, but still has to fully prove the system to an industry, a shipping industry, that despite its growing interest in decarbonisation and fuel efficiency, still remains cautious. Like VPLP, Airseas has its root in another industry, and I spoke to the kite maker's CEO, Vincent Bernadette, about the design. The contract to fit up to 50 of them onto a bulk carrier operated by Japan's K-Lines, and on a personal level, his move from aeronautics into shipping. It's a convergence of uh, various things, actually. Uh, I, I'm a passionate about the sea and sea activities, sailing uh, as one, and um, I was part of... Uh, and aviation engineer and a part of uh, part of Airbus for uh, many years and um, beside that I had a personal involvement in uh, environment uh, non, non-profit uh, organizations for the environment and uh, so all that brought me uh, the idea of um, of exploiting uh, the expertise from aviation in order to bring 
some kind of wing kites uh, for shipping in order to uh, reduce the um, environmental impact of this activity on the oceans. So how did the idea of using a kite emerge? We've seen in the industry there were um, previous attempts to develop a kite system and deploy it on a, on a, on a ship. Um, but how did you come up with the idea that a kite kind of solution could be used? Yeah, there was an attempt indeed a long time ago that uh, was enough to prove that uh, there was potential uh, to, to pull ships in a significant manner. Um, and um, uh, in 2016, when we started uh, ASCs, actually we uh, made the, uh, the assessment uh, that um, what was needed was to make such technology reliable and also uh, to optimize it to, to its full potential. Uh, because uh, as you know, wind is an unlimited free of charge energy, but it's available directly for ships as they sail. And um, it would be, I mean, it would be a pity not, not using it. Uh, and the, uh, the know-how that um, Airbus has generated for uh, 50 years around modeling and uh, flight controls allows to, um, to uh, make full use of this wind energy uh, in a way that is on one side completely safe as, um, as aircraft are, uh, and uh, at the same time fully optimized uh, to, uh, to the highest level thanks to the, the finest modeling, meaning, uh, uh, meaning mathematical uh, modeling. And, um, and using uh, sophisticated uh, algorithms in order to uh, properly use, uh, fully use the, the potential of the, uh, of the physical device of the kite. And in addition to that, uh, there was also the, uh, the prospect of uh, using uh, uh, algorithms to optimize uh, the route uh, between departure and arrival time and arrival location and time. Uh, to uh, make best use of um, of the of the wind that is available on the route, uh, sometimes taking uh, a different route, a different route. Sorry. So all all that together is um, what we call a digital twin. It's really the the power that the software brings for the uh, for the kite to bring its full efficiency. And how does that work? If you've got a, a, a digital twin, is this about looking at the vessel that's going to have the kite system, the SE system deployed, seeing its route, looking at the configuration and then finding the size of the kite that is best for it and the routes. How, how does it, is it a digital twin in terms of planning or is it digital twin in terms of operation? Well, uh, it's, it's both actually. Uh, on one side, um, when the, let's take a, a concrete example of a, a captain uh, going out of, uh, let's say, Rotterdam to uh, New York, and um, the, um, the system will, will uh, plan based on its knowledge of, uh, of the ship and of the kite, the best route. So that's planning. And uh, as, as the ship sails along this route, it will uh, periodically, every every three hours, update the weather uh, data and sea data in order to um, to recalculate the the optimum uh, route uh, to arrive on time uh, to New York. 
using the minimum amount of, uh, of fuel. And the, the, the way it can be used, though, is it will depend on the weather, obviously, not just a case of when the wind blows, you get the savings, but it's easily deployable. It can go up and down automatically. Um, it's easy to use. Um, but what kind of savings are you looking at being able to offer to a ship owner that deploys these? Yeah, the technology allows indeed is quite complex and allows simplicity of use. That's the whole purpose to make it robust, safe first, and then uh, robust and reliable and simple for use or simple to use. So it's a simple button, uh, on off button to, to uh, deploy, uh, to be pressed in order to deploy the system. Actually, the system... Uh, advises the um, the quartermaster or the captain, the commander, uh, to that, that the conditions are set uh, for him or her to use the system. Then uh, it's a simple uh, press button action. And uh, li likewise, when the conditions are, uh, the wind is uh, getting lower or not in the right direction, uh, similar advice will be given in advance and then at the right time. Uh, for the captain to uh, to retrieve the system. And I know one of the first vessels that you're likely to deploy it on is, I think the vessel's called the Ville de Bordeaux. It's the Roro vessel that um, Airbus is going to be used for shipping parts of its planes around the world as they go through the manufacturing process. Um, have you, what sort of experience have you had so far with the technology itself in terms of wind tests and model tests and actually deploying scale models perhaps? Yeah, so we, we have actually gone through um, uh, tests at sea uh, on the Airbus vessel uh, already in 2017 and uh, ever since uh, run several kinds of uh, campaigns both as well on the ground, uh, scaling up the, the size of, uh, of the system. And, and that's true that it will be the first uh, implementation um, on the transatlantic uh, crossing. Do you envisage there being any um, emergency tests and that as well? Because as an ex-seafarer, one of the things that um, I would be aware of in my mind if I was um, operating any kind of novel technology is what happens if something goes wrong? So what happens if the kite, for example, lands in the water? What if the, the winching system doesn't fall in the kite as required. Yeah, actually that's a big strength of, uh, of what we do is to master all the way from the, the earlier stages of uh, development, the, all the risks that are uh, possible uh, through a, a robust um, development process, which is inherited from aeronautics and secures a very, very, very high uh, level of uh, reliability and availability of the system. So, any situation is uh, is anticipated, well, physical or, or uh, human uh, human errors, etc., are anticipated in order to make the system um, fully safe. And that's where we uh, we build on the uh, 50 years of experience from uh, aeronautics. Clearly, this is a solution that still requires a vessel to have a diesel engine, so there would still be a power unit. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, a hydrocarbon fueled. So have you looked at this in terms of how this can be used as part of a combined strategy for ship owners as they seek to take a stepping stone approach towards lowering the carbon intensity of their vessels? Uh, actually, the big strength is that the technology is uh, available today. 
so we can provide uh, large amounts of savings of CO2 savings uh, for uh, our customers. And uh, our customers, the ones we're dealing with, are uh, for sure looking at the next steps. But uh, this step is very important already uh, for the customers we have today. We provide them with the, the, the objectives, the 2030 objectives, meaning that uh, when they implement in 2021, they will be already at the level that is expected in 2030. And uh, by that time, uh, we are willing to um, in, improve our, uh, our solution and make it uh, larger, more powerful, et cetera, in order to uh, even go beyond. And as you say, um, we are looking at uh, working with uh, other uh, technologies and combining, because uh, as everybody uh, thinks today, there's no silver bullet to um, reach the 2050 objectives. So working together and combining technology and hybrid, hybridating those technologies is key. And that's where uh, software is absolutely central too, because um, this will allow to master uh, the, the various effects of the various technology uh, for the benefit of, uh, of the ship. So it's more of a, it's very much a sort of an integrated approach towards this. Um, but this is also, Another point about the ability to use this system and a number of systems together as a retrofit. You don't need to put this system only onto a new building, do you? You can actually put this onto existing vessels. Yeah, that was um, part indeed. of the strategy. Yeah, that was part of the strategy to have a, a compact system that could be put at the bow on the bow of the ship of any ship, pretty much uh, in a very short time. Uh, we 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 target less than two days. Uh, in order to allow this uh, deployment on existing fleets, because uh, if we want to reach, you were referring to the IMO objective, but the, the society objectives of uh, lowering the CO2 uh, emissions in shipping, uh, then we need to act on existing fleets. Uh, there, was a, there was a study uh, from Manchester University on this. It is absolutely key that we, we all address existing fleets and uh, our technology is available today to do just that. Tell me more about the contract you've got with K-Lines. Um, you announced um, this contract with K-Lines and they're going to use quite a number of your systems on their vessels, aren't they? Yeah, sure. We've been working with uh, K-Line, uh, the fifth uh, fleet uh, in, in the world uh, to uh, serve their fleet. And uh, so it's been a two years, uh, now three years journey, and we'll, uh, we have contracted uh, for a first ship in 2021 and thereafter 50, uh, 50 more to come. Uh, and I would say that's only the start. Uh, we address first their Belker fleet uh, made of Panamax and Cape size ships. Uh, and we are already uh, contemplating at, uh, at others. And what sort of considerations do you have when it comes to deploying the, the systems onto these ships? What, what, do you, what do your engineers think about as they go on board when they see the ships for the first time? What's, what's the process for um, assessing how you're going to deploy um, a system onto a ship as a retrofit? Well, the way the, the system works is, uh, is pretty much standard and robust and standard. Um, when we go on the ship, it's more to look at the integration. Um, and the integration is both uh, physical in terms of space available on the, on the bow and what type of uh, 
uh, how strengthening is needed and cable, cables are needed. Uh, but that's quite limited. Uh, what we do also and what we do for all our customers is to model their ship uh, in order to, uh, to maximize the effect of the kite. It's not just about optimizing the kite, it's optimizing the kite on the ship. So for every ship, that's going to be uh, one of the first things we're going to look at. We're going to use the data specific to that ship and um, model it uh, so that we have the optimum answer providing most uh, savings for it. And do you think that new buildings could be designed specifically um, with a kite system in mind? I've spoken to some naval architects who say that with this new way of thinking that we can actually look again at hull forms, for example, when it comes to deploying wind assist technologies. So have you looked at how new buildings, the design of new buildings can be optimized for a kite system such as yours? Yes, we are uh, working on a couple of projects right now uh, for that. Indeed, it um, opens up um, uh, new dimensions or new areas to uh, optimize uh, new builds. And uh, so we will, we are very eager uh, to push uh, in that direction and to have the right combination between the main propulsion and uh, and our our system uh, as an example but also on the hull uh, so that's a that's a big thing we will uh, continue uh, learning and and, um, and uh, improving uh, designs ship designs meaning in order to uh, make most uh, benefit uh, from the wind Vincent Bernadette from Airbus on the use of the giant kites to create the pulling power to drag ships across the oceans and into the 21st century. And incidentally, if you do think shipping is an attractive place to work and you are an engineer, both French companies, VPLP and SEs, are recruiting. Now, before we end this episode, we have the regular rundown of what's been happening in the world of technology and transformation in shipping from Nick Chubb at Fetius. Thanks, Craig. Regulations can be a useful tool for changing behaviours, but if you really want to change an industry, you need to follow the money. This week, major charters from around the world have seized the shipping industry's climate initiative with the launch of a new sea cargo charter. The charter effectively requires ship owners to collect data on the carbon intensity of their operations and make it available to their charterers for publication. The charter uses the IMO's Energy Efficiency Operational Indicator, or EEOI, as a basis for calculating the carbon intensity of shipping. In simple terms, the EEOI can be expressed as carbon emissions divided by tons transported multiplied by distance. But as part of the charter, emissions will be calculated from discharge to discharge, meaning any voyage in ballast and the port emissions will be included in the calculation of carbon intensity. This will be enforced through the use of a sea cargo charter clause in contracts. As well as asking many ship owners to make available data that was previously unavailable to their charterers, this new practice will shine a light on both the efficiency of a vessel and the efficiency of its operation and management. What gets measured gets improved, and this latest development will provide a new and, for some, uncomfortable level of visibility into the environmental impact of the industry. In other news this week, in part because of the coronavirus and in part through the acceleration of a number of defence contracts in the USA, the autonomous shipping sector is growing much faster than we had originally forecast for 2020. Back in May, we estimated the sector would be worth $1.1 billion this year. 
as of today, we're now forecasting the market will be worth $1.5 billion this year and will achieve a 28% growth rate to 2025. Industrial data and analytics firm Geospoc closed a $5.4 million Series A round this week, led by blockchain investor Enchain. The Cambridge-based technology firm builds high-performance analytics databases and is working with the Baltic Exchange on mapping global emissions data from shipping. U.S. classification society ABS has launched a new digital platform to allow ship operators to pull multiple data feeds from their vessels into one cloud-based application. The platform can be configured by vessel operators to provide analysis and insight to enable reductions in cost and improvements in safety and efficiency. Finnish OEM Vartsila is rolling out their cloud-based simulation suite to Anglo Eastern's crewing pool of 29,000 seafarers. The simulator suite uses the same platform as the company's full-scale physical simulators, but makes it possible for instructors and seafarers to run training scenarios from anywhere with an internet connection. This reduces costs, eliminates travel, and enables COVID-secure training to take place. Well, that's it for this episode of Aronex. Please get in touch, get subscribed, get listening to our back catalogue of episodes, especially if you want to know more about wind assist technologies. We have a number of episodes looking at wind technologies, decarbonisation, sustainability, the regulations and the people that are the drivers for change. All that leaves me to say is to ask you to visit the fathom.world website to read the stories we continue to publish there subscribe to our newsletter and until the next episode goodbye for now